Before this episode starts, I wanted to address the broader issue of Trump. I don't make claims at all to speak for Matt or Brandon. This is just me taking the prerogative of the producer of the show. I guess I'm the producer to say what I think. I apologize that I wrote this down to read, which changes my cadence a little bit, but I wanted to make sure I got it right. Also, I put in chapter markers so you can skip this prologue if you like, in which case we'll see you in just a little bit. It'd be easy to listen to the following episode and think that the three of us were being heartless about the most important issues around Trump being elected president of the the United States. In this episode, I wanted to make sure we spoke narrowly to our work, what we cover here, the technology industry, and we do that well. It's important to speak about the real issues, though. That's the real work. I forget who said it in all the coverage I've been reading over the past few days or podcasts I've been listening to, but Trump's election is sad to people like me because we need the president to be our best vision of what we want America to be, which means who we want to be and aspire to. We see in the election a statement of who we are, whether we want to be that or not. This is a conclusive statement by the laws of the country that we the people have chosen over centuries now. And sure, we, who the people is has changed many times, but at the moment, we actually have a huge amount of people who, who are in that we the people bucket, as we saw with basically the other half of the election and the popular vote. In a way that's impossible to understand by many, even ourselves, one of the core principles of being American is accepting and defending what the group chooses. We believe the, believe the group is always better than the individual, that the group stops the individual from harming others. It can be subtle if you're not one of these sort of American thinking people, I guess, but it's taught from birth around here, and it's part of how we were, we were born and raised in this nation and how we live every day. As I said long ago, we will either hang together or hang apart. That doesn't mean that we can't disagree and tell the group that they're assholes and wrong. Doing so is how we change for the better and grow the group and become better people by acknowledging that we're all of us human with the same rights. But it means that we accept the group. The group is what we value. Those 310 million people plus in the group are what make America what it is. So when the group chooses something that we see as wrong, we're sad and angry. We even start to lose hope and worse, lose our principles if we don't hold tightly onto them. Another parenthetical, I think, that helps people understand each other. This type of thinking about groups and accepting them explains why traditional conservatives find choice or abortion, as they like to call it, and as I guess it's properly called by uh, terms, so abhorrent and fixate on it, as they do with gun rights and other issues. It's hard for an atheist like myself to fully accept the conclusions religious people make, and I think that's a majority of how people come to these, these sorts of conclusions, because for people like myself, religion doesn't even occur as a real thing to really do anything about. And thus, any conclusions drawn exclusively from religion are hard to take seriously, which isn't to say that we atheists don't have similar conclusions, we just derive them differently. But that same type of conviction, that, that feeling, that weight of conviction, I think is what con- traditional conservatives feel and what motivates them about abortion and guns and, and gays and apparently immigrants and the other. On the left side, we view our positions as natural and rational, as core to being human. But we have to pull back and look at how to compare our feelings and thinking about discrimination and all these issues to other people that we disagree with to, so we can understand what's going on with them and understand how to work with them and understand how to be part of that group. So for them, as it would seem by their vote, things are probably now great. If you remember your Birth of Tragedy reading, the first book written by Nietzsche before he really hit his stylistic stride, 
There's this idea that what makes the theater great, what makes acting great, is you put those people on stages and you identify with them and you merge with them and they become your champions in thinking and life, so to speak. And like I was saying, that's what we would like the president to be. And I imagine that uh, people who voted for him now see that. But for us on the left, we feel tremendously sad and many of us feel angry and, and upset. We see a person who is the opposite of what we've been struggling for and, frankly, what we've been doing really good at winning at and and handily getting things in place that advance the way we think things should be. From speech, it sounds like Trump doesn't treat women and minorities with respect, just to pick two things out of many. We on the left would simply think of these two groups as people, as we would immigrants and others. He's willing to acknowledge and welcome white supremacists as well, if he doesn't sort of silently do this, but he handily, he doesn't really reject them. And, you know, these are more or less the most vile sorts of people that we have in our society, people who want to expunge from the group and, you know, eject from the group parts of them instead of figuring out how how to work with and welcome them. And I think, again, it's instructive to think about uh, what, how that plays out, how people think about us on the left. I mean, you know, someone like me who, among many other things, is uh, pro-choice, when I bring this up with people, they they probably in their heads label me as a baby killer and think of me as vile and supporting murder and things like that. And I don't really know what to do with those things, but I think it's, it's important to be empathetic and try to understand what's going on in people's heads so you can work with it. Speaking of an issue like that, being a Texan, And having a Hispanic daughter, when I hear anything disparaging about Mexicans, well, first, I think that there's a lot more to being Hispanic and having brown skin than being Mexican. That's just on its own a sort of dog whistle to say that you're speaking in a uh, ridiculous way of thinking. But when I especially hear, to use the language uh, of Trump, that uh, there's, there's Mexicans who are coming across the border who are rapists and criminals, and then if you have a, a Hispanic heritage, even if you're obviously an American, that you can't really be a real American, even if you're a judge sitting in a courtroom, that there's something about the color of your skin and your ethnic background that's holding you back from being an American and part of the group. Like When I hear those things, what else am I supposed to hear? but that people can't welcome and love Hispanics, let alone anyone else who who seems and looks different from themselves. When I look at my daughter, I don't see whatever Trump thinks of as a Mexican. I just see my daughter. And for God's sake, she was born in the same hospital as me, the exact same hospital in Austin. And her birth mother came from more generations of native Texans than I've come from. Again, I just see my daughter. Now, I can't claim that I'm surrounded by non-white friends, but I do have friends who are sort of not in that category and that, that, that I talk with. I have Persian friends. I have gay friends. I have friends who see ethnicities and nationalities and bedroom activities and any difference is what makes us all interesting. They see differences as advantages for the groups, things that we want more of, that we can work with, that makes us stronger, that makes us the best and makes us American. And if this were the 1960 election, I'd be saying I had Catholic friends. If this were the 1800s, I'd be saying I had Irish friends. I could go on, but this is why the idea of the other, of of immigrants, of people who aren't like you, is so ridiculous, wrong, and damaging to the group. The problem is that our president-elect doesn't know how to speak in the language of everyone in the nation and the core ideas we're moving towards. Even if he believes the opposite and is somehow just acting He's not humane enough to understand why it's bad and does more than makes us sad. It damages our lives. He's not a comedian or a musician or any kind of artist. He's to be the president. 
And we expect the best from the president. We expect a president who not only is good, but knows how to talk in a way that makes us feel good and trust them. Furthermore, there's no evidence that this is all just acting. In fact, the policies Trump has talked about putting into effect aren't acting. They're real claims of action to do things like round up people and ship them away, to put his political opponents in jail, to sue anyone who disagrees with them, and to treat people differently based on their religion. Who knows what else a Trump administration would come up with? From everything that's been said, what we see is someone who's looking to stop our way of life and stop what we see as any progress to make everyone's lives better. And if it's all just an act, then we've elected a duplicitous, chaotic person to office, which is somehow even worse. That's why we're sad and mourning. That's why many are angry. Don't worry, though. The curve on the chart of history always wins. Yelling hardly solves anything in the long term. Ignoring others hardly solves anything. And yet, I wouldn't tell anyone to stop yelling and stop loathing and stop trying. I'm a rich white male. I have a past to do extraordinary things. I move in circles that other, others can't. I have a life that others will never experience. I'm always as safe as anyone can be in the world. I have the luxury of not being outraged, sad, and scared if I choose. I don't feel guilty about any of that. What I would feel guilty about is not using those powers to help others and move that curve faster for all of us. People in my position have to use our power and privilege somehow to change things for the better. I don't know exactly what that looks like yet, but we'll figure it out. That's the other power of privilege. We can get shit done if we will it. Imagine what we could do as a group. All of us have to do what we've always had to do. We have to do the work. So with that, here's our show for this week. I didn't want us to stop what we do or how we do it. I wanted us to talk about what affects all of us in the tech world about all of this, which we get to in the second half. And I think we have a good time in doing it in the sense that it's interesting and educational. But before that, we've got the usual cold open jokes. And of course, container talk. Well, I'm up in the, uh, the Pivotal Lab Chicago office. Also, if you'll recall, uh, long-term dedicated, that is uh, good listeners subscribers to our show they will know they'll remember when i was last up in chicago uh, i had a lot of praises to sing for it chicago is a lovely city now i am not here when it's snowing but the weather's great it's very clean the people you know they don't look as happy as they might look but uh you know generally they're they're nice people they all start man i had this we we uh I, I'm, I'm hanging out with with one of uh one of my local sales friends here and they took me to this place, Three Greens Market. If you look in the Twitter, I'll put a link to it. I'll use it for the the uh, the header image or something, maybe the the cover image. I got this, this thing called a pastrami burger. Now, now just close your eyes. Imagine the following: you go into a restaurant. There is a menu, and and their theory of the menu is we have four options: burger, <laughs> cheeseburger, pastrami burger, and fries. Mm. Right? But it's one of those places, right? So, of course, you're like. Pastrami burger, done. I want that, right? Now, you get it, <laughs> and it is not only what you think it is going to be. I'll get back to Chicago in a moment. It's not only what you think it's going to be, but it's more, which is a rare treat. Normally, there are so many gourmet burgers in the world that I've, I've eaten. This is, sounds like some folk song from the late 60s. I've eaten a lot of burgers, and they all kind of run together <laughs> at some point. You're sort of like, yeah, that's a great gourmet burger. Uh, I'm glad that cow was massaged and read Dr. Seuss in its youth. It tastes delicious, right? But really, you know, there's only so many aiolis with garlic you can have before you're like, yep, makes sense. Put a fried egg on it, done that. But this burger, yep. this burger was awesome. 
The pastrami uh-huh. was very thick cut pastrami. It had two patties on it, two patties with cheese. Oh, so good. So if you're in Chicago, in fact, here's what you should do. Book yourself a flight to Chicago, wherever you may be. <laughs> Just come fly here. Go to the Three Greens Market. Set aside $15 after your flight. Get yourself a burger and some fries. It's fantastic. So back to Chicago. Chicago's nice. It's it's uh it's I think I I wouldn't I always think of San Antonio as America's forgotten city, right? Like before I just said that, when's the last time you thought about San Antonio? Exactly. Mm. San Antonio is a massive huge city, no one ever thinks about it. I would so, say Chicago's so, a forgotten city, but it's a gigantic city that's that's pretty nice. How can Chicago be forgotten? They just won the World Series. They've been all over the news. Now like this is now like I, top, I mean it's huge. Now Brandon, Massive Brandon, city. Brandon, no one's forgotten Chicago. Brandon, is that sports? I I don't follow sports. <laughs> I know, but the, the, the reason I say that though is like the Cubs winning uh, World Series. I feel like has transcended into popular culture, right? The yes, references uh, Back to the Future. Everyone understands I, that. Like even if they don't know the sport, they know the it's team. True. The Cubs haven't won, so that's why. It's you know it, even, it should be it yeah. was a big story. I, even even I, I, I did have to I, I did have to mute quite a few hashtags on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> even even I, a vowed non sports ball follower, when I was sitting at the Starbucks this morning, hanging out before our little sales meeting, I saw someone here in Chicago walking down the street in a black socks jacket, and even I know to think, what the fuck is that guy's problem? Right? Like <laughs> it's just like you live in Chicago, the Cubs just won. Right, because, like whatever. Because, like first of all show show a little respect. He was wearing a white Sox jacket. That's where that's the whole point. That's but you see, even you knew there was somehow baseball and he was wearing the wrong jacket. So yeah. even if you don't know the names, you knew. So it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And how is it they have they have two baseball teams? That's amazing. What 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 two a town. And I am ne- right now. So this is getting to the original thing. I am right now sitting in a room named after Harold Ramis. All all the uh, things in here named after famous, uh, I guess, local comedians. It sounds great. Like Second City Comedy Troupe. Yeah, yeah. Now, now the thing that I originally was going to get to is because I am in an office and booked a room. I had the rare experience. Uh, I don't know if it's a pleasure. I didn't like it of having to kick someone out of a conference room. And I even got I even got the whole like indigent thing, which is fine. Like I I would do that to people, but but I had to I had to explain to them, uh, you know. I came over, I looked in, I did the looking thing, and and he kind of looked up at me, and then I sort of waited, and I waited, and he was still sitting there, and then I had to open the door, and you can imagine me, like I only like speaking to people through the internet. Like when I had to talk to someone like in real life, it's a disaster. So in, in my head, and and I'm just like, ah, I, I have I have this room booked. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I wouldn't, you know, I'm 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 not just happy with the fact that I fucking followed the rules and he should get his ass out of there, right? But I uh, I, I had to find, somehow excuse. I'm pro- I don't mean to be offending him. I'm joking around here, but like I had to uh, I had to be like I, I wouldn't care except I have to record a podcast. So uh, so <laughs> listeners, it's all for you. It's all for you. Just like, wow. just like for Damien, except I'm not jumping off of a roof. Yep, Cote's breaking, breaking through all the social mores for the listeners. <sighs> he was wearing a no. He was wearing a uh, is is a Red Raiders Texas Tech. He was. I almost wow. was like, oh Raiders In Chicago. I guess. I don't know why he's not wearing a Cubs shirt. Why would you care about the Raiders? No, baseball no, team? sure, Cote, sure wasn't the Chicago Bulls. It could be Chicago Bulls. <laughs> Maybe it could. It, it, you know what? Say, it yeah. could have also been the Red Sox. I don't know. I lost track. <laughs> They're no, that's Boston. Oh, we have to get off. But the but it's all red, right? Aren't they all just red? 
I don't know, Raiders, Red Bulls, they're all red, right? No, Raiders are black. Let's let's oh. move on. It's, See, it's just a, that, it's that, a horrible that, yeah. situation. <laughs> now you, you should come to Australia where you will know. None, none of the the teams. You see, I see, you know, logos for sports, and I like. Is that rugby? Is it football? Is it netball? Is it you know? Ah, there, there's just you know, people are like, go see Eagles, and I'm like, go. I don't even know what sport that is. <laughs> You're like, what the what the fuck is a sea eagle? Is that a fancy name for a pelican? What what is that? Uh, it's like an osprey. <laughs> were you? Were you? So, 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 Brandon, as is well established, you're from up there in uh, New England, from Maryland. You know, uh, the area of the water. Yes, Maryland. Right? Now, Maryland. Set the, the mid. That's right. The Mid Atlantic, which is different than the Northeast. But oh, go on. Okay, yeah. sure. I don't. Please know. continue. It's it's, it's yeah. more than a four hour drive from my house. So it's New England. <laughs> Got it. Got it. <laughs> you're either you're either the Deep South, the Midwest, New England, or San Francisco, as far as. And then and then you could also be that place where they uh, where they put fried eggs on the enchiladas. I vaguely remember that. Mm. Uh, so it was in San Antonio. Now, now, did you? I, I know Matt Ray. You must have experienced this when you go to the Texas uh, coast. But did you have this, Brandon, where you can buy a baseball cap that has fake seagull poop on it? No, well, no, <laughs> I have not seen. I have not seen such a thing. One of the many regrets of my childhood is I did not buy and keep one of those. I, 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 I wish wow. I still had one. A lot of regrets there, Cote. <clears throat> a lot of regrets. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of regrets, uh-huh. uh huh. A lot of news this week. Uh, should we start with KubeCon? Uh, <laughs> listen, listen. We got to talk about containers because that's what we do on this podcast. And then, and then, and then we'll talk about the uh, we'll talk about the other stuff. That that'll be interesting. Yeah. But so what's uh, what, what's yeah what's going? On? I, there was a KubeCon. Is that that's a conference, right? Where they talk about Kubernetes. Yeah. Could you finally teach me how to say that? I. have you know, nobody knows how to say it. They Fair just enough. write it down, yeah. and then they share post-it notes, and you know, don't make eye contact. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so so KubeCon is the big, uh, big, relatively big, um, you know, Kubernetes uh, meetup conference. I think they're up to about eight hundred people now. Mm. And uh, as a friend of the show, Michael Ducey, noted on Twitter, it's the new OpenStack Summit. Ooh. <laughs> oh, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. but you know, when, when, when not throwing bombs, um, it was, uh, there was, there was a little bit of news, uh, that came out this week. Um, Microsoft announced they're going to be running, uh, offering Kubernetes on their, uh, Azure container service. So they're, they're covering, they're covering all their bases. They've got, uh, they've got Docker, they've got Mesosphere and now they have Kubernetes. Um, so, uh, you know, they're still, uh, not, uh, not, not. Picking a horse or picking all the horses? Can you do that? Um, sure. I think they call that having a <laughs> having a stable. Having a stable. Uh, yeah. So yeah, there there was that. Um, they announced a new uh, feature called operators, which um, I mean, I the examples of they gave of Prometheus and etcd. I wasn't sure. I mean, I, I kind of see what they're going for. It. it, it the intention is to make stateful applications that run on top of Kubernetes that take advantage of the Kubernetes APIs. And having you know, played with, with Mesosphere a little bit, my impression was this was similar to how Mesosphere has native services as well. So, so Mesosphere will let you, you know, you can say, oh, I'm going to run a bunch of containers mm-hmm. and uh, Marathon will go and schedule them. But also you can say, well, 
I'm going to run a, a Hadoop job or I'm going to run a Spark job and there's a native Spark service on, on Mesosphere that just runs it and it handles, you know, scheduling its own containers and, and everything. So you don't actually deal with <clears throat> the underpinnings. You just say, you know, here's my Spark job, go run it. Or, you know, oh, here's my... and, and, and so instead of relying on the platform scheduler, the thing has its mm-hmm. own scheduler in the tr- sense of workload placement and everything. Yeah, yeah, and so it understand. It's just you know they're like, well, lots of people run this on Mesosphere. Let's make it a native thing, so it takes more advantage of it, and you know knocks down some of the abstractions and runs a little more efficiently. And I think that's that's my understanding of where they're going. Yeah, uh, with all operators saying, and it, and it makes sense. I mean, I just thought it was weird to to start with Prometheus and etcd. Um, but uh, I mean, now, now you tell, know, those tell, are... tell me if I'm wrong. But what you're describing to me, so when I when I translate that over into uh, Cloud Foundry land, uh, mm-hmm. it sounds like so. If I'm writing an application that's running on top of whatever uh, um, on Kubernetes, Kuber Post-it Note, uh, like I, there are things that I that for whatever reason don't run in this method, and I kind of need a, need a way around this to like manually set it up and run it, which is commonly I/O intensive things, otherwise known as data, like that. And and then you use no, no, not, not, no, not no? necessarily. These these are no. I mean, a lot of uh, I don't think Prometheus and etcd are particularly I/O intensive. They're oh, oh, right, 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 right. So you could do other stuff. They're, but, they're, sure, they're they're very common large scale applications that run on this platform. Got it. Got and, it. And so, it, you know, rather than say, "All right, well, I'm going to run this in containers," say, "You know what? I've done this so many times. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a little bit closer to the underlying APIs, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to take out some of those layers of abstraction to squeeze a little more performance. And since I know I'm going to be on on Kubernetes, you know, we'll, you know, we'll we'll take advantage of a few other, you know. APIs that you know normally I wouldn't use in a container, and you know, okay, and, and so you know it, it, it's, but it it's more of a shot <clears throat> at uh, at Mesosphere, in my impression, in my you know thinking, because because Mesosphere kind of started that way, you know, they they were like a scheduler, and containers were added later, you know, I mean containers were added, right, you know, they they started in this you know large scale applications that had a distributed framework for running. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we can also schedule your containers, and here's a generic way to do containers. And Kubernetes started with, here's a genetic, generic way to do containers. Now let's, uh, well, you know what, let's do these specific jobs that everybody wants to run on top of you know, this distributed service anyway. Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 that, that's what I think is going on there, and you know, hopefully someone will tell me I'm right or wrong. Matt Ray, I, w- I would like to ask some uh, remedial questions. With all this contain, all of everything you just said, let's just kind of like come back to the container war that we're watching. Has has anyone taken, in your opinion, a significant lead? Is there is there one is somebody breaking out as truly ahead of the pack, and we all need to start watching with more uh, uh, diligence? Uh, no, I mean it's it's a three horse race. Uh, Docker has Docker has the developers. Um, you know, there's, we can talk about some of those articles, but, uh, Kubernetes has, you know, they've got the, the, the swell of, of Google and now Microsoft and Red Hat. And, you know, I think, I think long-term, you know, Kubernetes is, is, 
you know, hard to fight. Um, Mesosphere, they've got a lot of big shops using it. They've got a lot of big customers. Uh, you know, they're making a very enterprise play. You know, that, that that's they're shooting for that crowd. They're talking about being in the data centers. Um, I mean, you know, it's I don't think this week changes much, but Kubernetes has a lot of momentum. So, but I like you your uh, I like the the buckets you come there. Docker's developers, Kubernetes. It sounds like what you're saying there is like the big vendors and cloud providers are getting behind that, right? And then mm-hmm. Mesosphere, probably it looks like it is having some success with large enterprise customers. Sounds like yeah. that's is that how you shaping? You know, kind of if we're looking at this at like a ten thousand or twenty thousand foot view, and nothing yeah. this week has really changed that that dynamic. Well, uh, you know, the operators. Operators means that you know Kubernetes is coming from Mesosphere, and the Azure Container Service means that you know Microsoft's hedging their bets. So you know, I still think it's it's tilting a little towards Kubernetes, but there's plenty of anecdotes and stories about how hard Kubernetes is to run in production, how hard it is to get set up. So they've got you know a day one and a day two problem of getting it out there. Uh, and and that's kind of the advantage of Docker Swarm is it's drop dead simple to start day one. But uh, there's a, a an article that came out this week uh, called Docker in Production: A History of Failure. And the guy's been you know he's been using Docker in the uh, high frequency trading space for I think he said a year and a half or two or so. And you know he just lists out all the things that they've seen, all the problems they've had, the bugs, the documentation, the you know lack of backwards compatibility. And you know the the quote is <laughs> Docker only moves forward and breaks things. You know, it's it's the wild west. And you know uh, if you're in high frequency trading or other things that are you know touching money, um, you know, I there, there's a, a an article that is kind of the retort, and it's like boring tech is what makes money. So, you know, probably you're still not running. You, you know, you still shouldn't be running things on Docker unless you're really comfortable with things failing. And and that's, you know, that's the the state of it. It's you know, it's probably the future, but uh, the future's still rough. Ooh, well, but it, that's it a Billy Gibson sense, quote, isn't so. it? But it does make sense to me what you just said there, right? Because, I mean, obviously, Kubernetes at least has a, a, a big Google kind of heritage, right? Or, I mean, that's their, yeah. their, and they're, they're all about scale. And I don't, I'm trying to think of the Twitter. Was Twitter using, which, Twitter, which one were these? They were on Mesos. Yeah, so, yeah, so Twitter, yeah the, the, uh, the guy who, who wrote um, Mesos was from Twitter. He worked right? at Google. He worked at Google. And Twitter hired him away to fix the fail whale problems. Yes. He, he was working on his his PhD about distributed, you know, scheduler, and he took his you know his his PhD work or master's thesis or whatever it was, took it to Twitter, um, and scaled them up to you know sixty thousand you know sixty thousand hosts are, are running on uh, Mesosphere at Twitter, and uh, you know he of course he left to to form Mesosphere right, yeah, and, right. and so so you know they. Mesosphere is is another one of those, or Mesos is another one of those, you know, inspired by the experience at Google, you know, yeah. technologies. Yeah, you know, you know well, it, it's. it's I, I think I've gone over it before, but just to briefly summarize it, uh, like I I, rem- I remember the initial briefings. I was an analyst at the time that I got from Mesos, were a classic case of 
uh, don't give analysts your VC pitch. <laughs> right and because because and matt ray hit on most of the parts like like and and it's nothing bad against it it's just analysts need something different like the pitch that they gave was basically the pedigree of twitter and the berkeley amp lab and then like a really awesome demo of a black background with a bunch of dancing neon boxes on it and then and then and then you know brandon you'll remember this i remember about a year ago you you fo- closely followed the dcos idea the data center operating system <laughs> over yes. over from a, over from the uh, the the 18z whatever the fuck they're called 1816z from you know the Netscape and uh, ops opsware uh, not opsware 1816z yeah 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 it they're opsware yep. right yep. From, from that legacy yep and, that's right and so like I think nowadays they probably have their shit together whereas an analyst so since we're about to enter four years of a fact free reality I'll throw out some facts that we can like sleep on for the the, the rest of our time but like looking up the uh, the March 2016 report from my old friend Jay Lyman at 451. Back then, Mesosphere had dozens of large enterprise customers and people like Netflix, Airbnb, PayPal, and Yelp. And let's see, each of them had like deployments of 500 to 1,000 nodes a day. And then they had some PS, some professional services on 10% of those customers. So I don't know what their licensing fee, their licensing stuff is, but you could kind of figure out a revenue on that. Like back then they had, had 150 employees. What do you figure? Like 150,000 an employee? So like, yeah, I mean, I mean, they're, they're probably doing all right for they're like a three year old company. I don't know how old they are, but yeah, like, they've got a lot of VC though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. So, so the, you know, I mean, dozens of large enterprise customers that, not too bad, uh, but uh, I, I don't. I don't have the uh, the numbers for like Docker and Kubernetes is weird because like I guess there are people you can pay, but you wouldn't really track that by direct sales of stuff. I don't think. Um, but yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, yeah, Kubernetes is spread among a lot of vendors, and you know, when I was at Mesoscon uh, earlier in the year, one of the things I saw was you know a, a large customer of Mesosphere just essentially saying, well. We could pay these guys, you know, a million a year or whatever, or we could try to hire three of their engineers away. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like, oh, you guys are in a pinch because, you know, if if the product, if the open source project doesn't have enough control from the vendor, you know, you can fork it, you know, in-house fork it for, you know, if. if if you're running something on 60,000 hosts, you know, you're probably not running too close to a master. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it just, it made me nervous for Mesosphere. Um, yes. Just knowing that, you know, their customers are like, well, we can pay you. We can hire away from you and we can probably switch pretty easily. So, so I, I have, before we get to the mid roll, I have two questions, one for each of you. So first of all, and we'll see if I remember the second one after we, so Matt Ray, where, what's the deal with CoreOS nowadays? What are they? What are they up to? <laughs> um, I, you know, they. Uh, so they were the 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 people who had the operators press release. Uh-huh. Um, they there was a big Linux vulnerability in the last week. Um, CoreOS rolled out a patch in under twenty four hours to everything. That was I made a little bit of news in the in the geekosphere, um, and then. Uh, yeah, their 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 pitch is you know Google infrastructure for everyone else. Um, they're you know they they took I think it was twenty million in VC from Google, uh, and you know they kind of pivoted towards we want you to have GKE on premise. You know anything you can get from Google, we're going to try to give you on premise. 
we're going to provide you know the the base operating system you know core os the the os that you're going to run your container infrastructure on tectonic is their version of gk of of kubernetes with you know a nice ui and management tools so they're you know they're I mean, I don't know how closely they work with Google, uh, but they're definitely trying to be the the complement to to you know to GKE, and, and so they're you know they're pretty much just we're going to give you Google everywhere but Google. So you know if you're not quite ready to make that move, or for whatever reason you're not going to run your infrastructure in the cloud, um, that's what they're shooting for. Which gets kind of weird now that you know Red Hat's also in the Kubernetes space, and um, you know. I don't know much more about CoreOS's business. Uh, you know, really, really smart guys, but uh, you know, they they push out a lot of tech and yeah. You know, so I, so in in your so I I I looked it up and CoreOS has forty eight million over five rounds in in investing according to Crunchbase. Is that still an AOL property? I think they they sold that off to someone, didn't they? Uh, but uh, and and then I was thinking like and then HashiCore has uh, according to Crunchbase thirty four point one eight million. So that's an interesting like because mm-hmm. they're both like in this category of like so what's going on over there, right? Like like business wise, they definitely have like technologies that are well respected and everything. But it's uh there there's kind of at least uh, maybe I'm totally wrong, but both of those companies are kind of like. Uh, they're sort of like Canada. It's sort of like, I mean, you guys are cool, and I know the alliances that happen, but like you're kind of like on your own there, right? Like, what's going on? And in, in, in like, I don't know who the natural partners of HashiCore are, or like who their enemies or whatever are. And similar, like CoreOS, I thought they were going to be sort of like, they seem to be going both at Docker and the thing I can't pronounce, the, uh, the Greek uh, navigator guy. And uh, but then they also have their own thing. So like they got they got all sorts of stuff going on over there. Well, yeah, but their own thing is is tightly coupled to Kubernetes. Okay. So they're they're they are all over Kubernetes. So I mean <laughs> they're the reason you know like I said this operators announcement came from CoreOS. Mm. It's yeah you know, with the money coming from Google you you it it's a nice way for for things to enter Kubernetes that you know don't have to you know come straight from Google. Uh, and 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 then so last thing on that topic, are, are, do people still have nerd fights about System D and etcd, or is that like is that all over? Did that win? It it it's it's mostly over and and sad. <laughs> <laughs> system System D has won. You know, System D has won um, yeah. by default. All right. Well, we can close that. So here's the question I had for you, Brandon. Now. The I you know uh, as always uh, I know I know you've done extensive pre reading for the show which is much appreciated uh, so like in that Docker thing you know this this was the weekly Docker didn't work out for us and and oddly enough it's not in Medium so it's not a I, why I'm quitting Docker <laughs> uh, it's it's I think right. the, these Docker posts are always on the individual blogs which I think is interesting Medium needs is is missing some of its addressable market or it could be at it could increase its TAM if it would take over the nerds. Uh, but in in the weekly why Docker sucks blog post that Matt Ray found for us, <clears throat> it seems like a lot of the problem this dude has is they didn't maintain backward compatibility, and they would basically like change names around and change features around from release to release. So, how do you like? What is your opinion about the stage of the life that Docker is in as a product manager? Is that okay? And and like, 
when can you start like not having backward compatibility in infrastructure software? Like how do you figure that out? Because that's ultimately that's what a product manager decides in a traditional organization, right? Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully, I mean, it's probably decided by lots of, I mean, in reality, it's always a group decision and oh, there's sure. always constraints and stuff like that. So, I mean, but for well, Docker, let me put it another I, way. I think the uh-huh. product manager gets blamed if people don't like it. Yeah, that is accurate. 100% accurate. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I would think, right, when you, and this is probably kind of like a broader answer to this question is kind of back to what Matt Ray was saying. Docker owns the developer, right? And therefore, they probably don't have tons of large enterprise uh, companies kind of buying something. Now, maybe using it is different, but really paying for something like Matt Ray was saying, Mesosphere, right? Where they probably do have 100 enterprises paying some type of significant money. So if we were to look at that and say, Mesosphere is probably much more stable or much more committed to backward compatibility because they have a customer base that at this point is going to lock them in, right? And they've got mm-hmm. revenue and they've got renewals coming up. Whereas Docker has enough VC at this point and enough developer mind share that they probably are like, if we don't get it just right for the developers, or there's some significant reason the developers want a new API that we're willing to just go ahead and find fine we'll just rewrite it and everyone just has to uh, deal with the pain and most of the developers will probably do it right now i think this is now what's informative here though i think is back to our longtime listeners like what i think everybody who's listening probably needs to care about is like which one of these things do they got to learn so that they can uh, get better jobs and make more money and i think the way (laughs) the the path that i would go would be as we talked about on the previous show the money is probably going to be made here, not from these vendors, but by the cloud providers out there, being Azure, Google, Amazon, you know, some others, IBM, would like, we'd like to be mentioned in there, but others, I'm sure, out there. And so what we should watch is, okay, like Matt Ray said, Kubernetes is hard, but I think the large cloud and enterprise vendors are going to be pretty committed to making it easier and making sure that that it will eventually get easy and bring all that scale uh, to them. And then they're going to want to sell it to you, not as like a software package, but rather as a come use our cloud. Mm. So our bet is learn Kubernetes, right? Get comfortable with your preferred cloud vendor, right? Making sure it uses it. And um, that's probably, we had to bet, the most likely one to be successful. That's where I would put my time and effort. Yeah. And 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 going back to the article, like I don't know. I mean, probably probably I was one of the few people who caught on. It's like he was complaining about Docker on Debian. You know who supports Debian? Nobody. I mean, it's it's a community project. You know, I, I was talking with a gentleman who who worked at Red Hat, and you know, he he was talking about a telco that tried to run Debian, and like I love Debian. You know, don't get me wrong. I, I I'm big, you know, open source nerd. I, I love community stuff, but if you are a commercial entity and you need something to work, you're going to have to pay someone. I mean, that's just, you know, you're going to have to have someone you can call. And, and you know, Debian is not someone you can call. That's, that's exactly what they are not. Yeah, <laughs> and right. so he's complaining about, you know, Debian having a hard time maintaining backwards compatibility with a commercial VC-backed company that's releasing monthly like no kidding, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yep. Tell me about your horror stories of running high frequency trading on Debian. 
Yeah, and I think let's <laughs> and and I was gonna say, look at the look at the incentives at play here, right? Like the people that have invested in Docker and now the Docker leadership are take are placing a bet that their company will be the next VMware. I don't know exactly what VMware is worth today, probably like fifty billion dollars. I guess it's been part of Dell, but you know, whatever, right? So so that there's probably a one in ten chance at best that that happens. Now, should those guys for the VCs and the people working there? one in 10 chance is probably not that bad, right? Like, well, maybe it will work out. But for everybody else, it's like there's going to be a very high likelihood that Kubernetes is uh, going to be around and be used by these large cloud vendors, right? Yeah. They, I mean, they, Google's already done it. So it's a very strong likelihood that's going to be around and be a preferred way to deploy cloud-based applications and cloud infrastructure. And there's probably also a very uh, strong likelihood that Mesosphere uh, is bought uh, as a strategic acquisition by one of these large enterprise vendors or cloud vendors even, right, to just kind of, uh, if you will, uh, take the edges off Kubernetes. So they're probably not going to be yeah. a VMware, but they'll have a nice exit and maybe even, if you will, help push the Kubernetes uh, dream forward in some way. So so the Docker thing, if you pick Docker today, it's because you love technology, which is good, you know, it's fun. I mean, fun for a side project. Or it's because, yeah, you think there's this 10% chance that they're going to be the next thing uh, ever. And, and as we've seen maybe in recent uh, uh, recent uh, history here that, like, sometimes the polls are wrong, right? Maybe my 10% <laughs> scientific-based uh, poll that I've done, may, maybe it's actually 60%, you know? Well, so yeah. uh, we'll, we'll see how it works out. Well, that, that's, and, a, that's, and, a, that's a good segue into the mid-roll, I think. Which, which, <laughs> and, and the reason it is is because, like, you, you could think about all of that. Or you could use Pivotal Cloud Foundry. Yeah, how about that? Do you, you think do you think that's good? Well, well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> uh, but you know, Matt Ray, I, I'll, I'll let you start. I know you have a mid roll thing still, right? Well, yeah, I, I still had one last point. <laughs> oh, come on! I'm trying to advance I'm, the I'm, agenda. But go ahead. Uh, uh, go okay, ahead. just just one one thing. End of the month, reinvent. I don't have any in, inside insight. Ooh, but, this is a good point, Matt. Ray. You know, Amazon hasn't, you know, they they've got a little bit of Docker, they've got container service, and uh, it, it's Docker based. But you know, Amazon's the gorilla who could, you know, kind of like push a lot quickly. Yeah. All right. So, so hey, I want to uh, Matt Brett, uh, Cote. I got to jump in with the mid roll now, Cote. Yeah. Well, for those of you that are going to reinvent. Join us next week for our, our annual predictions of what will happen at reInvent. So make sure to listen to next week's episode where I will have no actual predictions prepared, but I will make them up on the spot. Yeah. So it would be a great ep- it's gonna be a great episode. Also, also uh to to uh further retcon in whatever tradition we're talking about here, uh we will also give you advice about how to handle your Thanksgiving dinners. I mean, isn't that uh, this will be the week before Thanksgiving? I mean, there's a lot of yes, discussion it will. to be had. Like, how do you how oh, do you strategize this out? Like, I mean, you got to put a lot of thought into this. Are you having a midday meal or a meal when it's dark outside? How do you pace your drink? Dry turkey, uh, right? Like, you, turkey. You're gonna have a, listener, yeah, the, You're gonna want to tune in because I have gonna, a very Australian you're gonna have a, Thanksgiving. Yeah, you're gonna have a lot of drinking. You don't want to get too drunk, right? Like, you got to put the kids. Like, there's a lot. You got to strategize on this shit if you want to win. Uh, I'm gonna have the best Thanksgiving ever. Yeah, yeah. You play some net, <laughs> some netball with the sea eagles or some other kind of like upside down bullshit <laughs> do they have an equivalent of thanksgiving over there matt ray uh 
Australia Day. <laughs> uh, very nice, very nice. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> well, listen, I'll, I'm going to go quickly through the mid roll. Back to the mid roll. <laughs> so, Matt Ray, tell us about DevOps Days Australia. DevOps Days Australia, Sydney is coming up uh, December 1st and 2nd. If you use the discount code SDT2016, you will save 20%. And if you come, I'll say hi, because uh, Chef's going to be there. We'll have a booth, giving out swag, um, saying hi to all the friendly people, hopefully uh, doing some of the uh, the DevOps Days uh, informal talk stuff. Yeah, that sounds – all right. Well, I only have uh, – aside from just you know Pivotal Cloud Foundry in general, which, which uh, you can always check out at pivotal.io. That's always thrilling. Or you can go to cote.io slash pivotal, and, and there's all sorts of things linked off of there that are uh, informative and will convince you that it's the right choice uh, or something. Uh, <clears throat> this is a good example of an ad roll that I can send to our potential uh, – Advertisers, I'm sure that. Was <laughs> but but uh, next week uh, on November 16th, I'll still be in Omaha at a at a cloud native roadshow, and it'll be free. So uh, you can just go check that out. It's November 16th. It's, it's uh, you should come out if you're in Omaha. We can talk about stakes and the uh, magic of compound interest. It'll be fun. And then also, I actually have the dates. There's a whole bunch of of cloud native roadshows elsewhere, and uh, there's one in uh, like St. Louis on the 14th. In, in Hartford, Connecticut on the 16th, and it just, you should go, go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 78, and you can see there's, there's about four other places in Denver, New York, and Los Angeles. I didn't list there, but, uh, if it's in the month of November and you're in, uh, let's see, St. Louis, Hartford, Denver, New York, or Los Angeles, you can come get yourself a free lunch, and you can, I think they have Kenny and Casey, uh, on my team, and also Fred, uh, another guy going out there. They're very entertaining. You'll have a good time. Yeah. It'll, it'll be fun stuff. All right, so all right, so mid we'll, rolls over. We we'll see we'll see how much. Uh, oh oh, there was some quick follow up. One, uh, thanks to uh, one of our Canadian listeners, I think, who uh, said they they enjoyed uh, our Costco recommendations and would leave an iTunes review. I actually haven't gone to check that out. I have no idea how I get iTunes. Maybe I can use Cloak and change my IP address to like Saskatchewan, and then iTunes will log me into that or something. But uh, but they, they, they seem to like that. And, and uh, also, what was the other follow-up? Oh, you know, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 77, we received an actual comment, two comments, like because we're using the new system over at Fireside, which is wonderful. If, uh, if you host a podcast, you should check out Fireside. If you go over to softwaredefinedtalk.com, I've actually added header images to all the stuff I've uploaded. It's, uh, you can see if you get the joke about each one, if there is a joke. So then, so then we we've alluded to it. So so I was thinking we should talk about about the uh, the president elect situation. So so first of all, first of all, you know, well that's 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 great, right? Wonderful. They got all sorts of letdowns and stuff like that. But I was thinking, you know, rather than just you know uh, continuing to be upset, I ate that burger up there. That made me kind of happy, you know. But uh, you know, it, it, it's worth since uh, given the topic to see like so how would this affect like tech stuff. And 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 as always with a, a, a you know a crazy person who changes what they say all the time, like it's hard to actually predict. But there are like some interesting indications and in analysis that I've seen. So I collected together some stuff. But uh, what, what what do you guys think? What do you think over uh, with with the uh, with with the Trump presidency? How do you think that affects tech? Uh, well, 
Uh, you've seen the uh, <laughs> a few of the Silicon Valley types um, calling for California to secede. Yes, I yes. don't think that's going to happen. Yes, just yeah. call me call me silly. Um, I, I think that's uh, a little short sighted. Um, possibly even part of the reason that uh, things went the way they went. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of tension between you know the haves and the have-nots, and um, you know when you have when you have uh, you know the rich getting richer, and no matter their politics, and and you know the the gulf between them getting bigger and bigger. To have you know, one group saying, "Well, we're going to take our cake and and go uh, take our ball and leave," um, it's not really going to solve the problem. So uh, you know. Says the guy in Australia. Um, <laughs> but uh, to all the folks who have hit me up over Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, instant messaging, Slack, IRC, um, I can't help you move to Australia. Uh, yeah. It's it's actually a complicated process, and I'm not a permanent resident. So I will be coming back to the U.S. Um, Australia has its problems, too. Well, so, well, um, well. First of all, I am glad to hear that we, as a tech industry, have finally solved the communication problem. You only had like eight or ten different channels that people could talk with you through. So, good job on us. And uh, yeah, I'm sure it's hard to like move around. That's that's a ridiculous reaction to things. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it does. Uh, how about how about yourself, Brandon? You got you got a uh, you got any any theories? You know, I don't I don't know have any theories on like what to do other than. You know, I don't know. Lick your wounds, maybe. Think about it. Think about the future. For oh yourself. yeah, yeah. I, I, I just I uh, mean in the world. But uh, of tech. I do think, yeah, the world of tech. But I guess I think the maybe the greatest lesson here is it's not so much. It's something I I actually think a lot about in tech is uh, putting aside you know winners and losers for a second. It's just in tech and in products and development and stuff. There's always in companies. There's always these focus on like tactics versus message. And in the world of tech, it's like tactics versus product, right? And mm. in the world that, that we live in, right, there's so much talk about, like, if you're launching a product, like, what show should you go? What should the product be named? Um, what colors? What's the brand? What's the SEO strategy? What's the digital stuff, right? And there's, like, entire organizations that get so caught up in that side of the, the house uh, and, the, and I just largely refer to those as tactics that that they lose sight, man. That people just lose sight of like the message and the product, right? And you know, we talk a lot about product market fit on this show and about that great. I mean, Mark Andreessen really talked about it in that you know seminal article about how when when you get it right, the the market actually just pulls the product out of the company in spite of itself, right? And so, like, if you look at all this, you know, we obviously had one candidate with like a great data analytics team and a great organization and uh, sort of like knows all the right people, did all the right But in the end, you know, there was definitely kind of a miss there in understanding maybe the, the core, the entire user base, not just one side of the user base. And I think that happens a lot in tech, right, about as we kind of look at like maybe, you know, a, a quite a slightly different story, as Microsoft launches its uh, uh, competitor to Slack, right, um, you know, Microsoft has done everything right. This, uh, from the launch perspective, they got press. They've talked to people. Um, you know, the pre- you know everyone that w- not wants to know about it. They have you know maybe a good name, maybe a bad name, whatever, right? But 
you know, Slack is the thing that sort of is succeeding in spite of itself, right? It's just like, yeah, they don't even have any sales and marketing. They fired their CMO or he left rather to spend time with his family, you know, a few months ago. And, uh, but it's still a great product that's just literally being pulled out of it. So, so I think it's just another lesson, like I think about in life, just in general, right? It's like, don't get so preoccupied. And I think for tech companies too, like with all the tactics, and lose sight of like, what are you building? Why are you building it? Why is it great? And why are people going to talk about it? And mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. focus in on, on your products and you focus in on your projects like that and worry less about the PowerPoint slides and how perfect your graphics are, you're going to be probably a lot more successful. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so uh, in pulling together, doing, doing what little uh, research is available, which is to say cut and pasting from other people, it looks like if I were to – so there's actually like – like I'd forgotten about this. You know, like like most people, I probably like listen to a bunch of political podcasts or have over the past six months. And I vaguely remember this speech he gave at, of all places, Gettysburg, which is a strange – place to choose and and i I went and uh i accidentally went and read the transcript of it and there's like you know i don't know 18 uh policy statements as as i was jokingly telling someone earlier they're basically like mckinsey slide titles right like they're just like very compact things with like uh you know a, a vague picture underneath so who knows what the details are but if you read through those and read analysis of it it seems like there's three clusters of intentions and then there's a fourth thing that it kind of affect the tech industry. One is sort of like uh, H1B visas bad, right? And so like yeah. that, that's, that's a gigantic thing for the tech world. So who knows what that means, right? There's already not that many of them as far as I can tell. So uh, I'm, well, ma- yeah. maybe something will happen there, which, which I don't know for the few people who don't know, it's basically just a way to uh, bring foreign workers in to do, I think, I, I forget what the legal wording is, but it's sort of, it's basically something between a critical and high-paying job that you can't source locally. And this is like, if you want to get like the, uh, the as, as we all are now, the old farts of the tech world upset, like this is a topic you can just really, you know, like drill down on them on and they'll probably like lose their shit. Like I remember, I mean, this isn't entirely true, but like a large part of why I stopped being a developer is because I thought my job was going to be offshored. And so it's also because, mm-hmm. like, you know, being an analyst at Redmonk seemed way the fuck cooler than writing software, <laughs> uh, but which which is the majority of the reason. But like, it, you know, like that was I, I used to stress out about that at BMC a lot. So that's sort of a thing. That'll be interesting policy, uh, if if anything, to look at. And then and then the the two other things before we get to like just uh, the the fourth thing. It seems like also in that um, I think it was from that that speech. He basically like threw out. I'm going to make it. If you if if company American companies want to repatriate cash, it'll only cost them ten percent, which begs the question: How much does it currently cost? So I went to go look that up, and it's you know depending on what your accountant. I'm sure corporations have teams of accountants, but depending on how your accountant does your corporate tax, repatriating money is somewhere around thirty to thirty five percent plus the local taxes. So. Therefore, and, and if you look in the show notes, uh, you can see I, I cut and pasted some, some balance sheets. There's a lot of companies that have a lot of offshore cash, and they keep it over there because it would be stupid to use the logic of Trump from – was this the second or third debate? It's smart to evade taxes and should be admired apparently. Uh, but so, so it makes Trumpian logic for them not to have repatriated that. So – what does that mean? That that would that that essentially means like I remember back when we were doing M and A. If you could find a really sweet deal uh, in EMEA, 
that was nice because there was there was ca- a lot of cash that needed to be spent. So you can transact that acquisition outside of the U.S. and you can use up that cash. And then it also means you don't have that cash. You don't prioritize spending that cash and what the geography is. But then it also maybe it means an inflow of cash plus the 10% pickup that the government gets from repatriating at it if they want to do it. And then when you look at these figures, I mean, if I'm reading this right, I think this is Barron's that was reporting it. Like Apple has... Is it? It says ninety three percent of two hundred thirty billion dollars, like offshores, which sounds crazy, but I, I guess. And then I think Cisco yeah. has like ninety one percent of sixty four billion, and the estimate is that uh, that IBM has eight point two billion, and on and on and on. That's just hardware companies, and there's a whole list of software company things. So that's something <laughs> that that would. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the being overseas and seeing these companies operate overseas it's like they're not american companies yeah yeah i mean they are you know they are but they're not you know they're 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 truly global companies that have presence in you know dozens you know of of countries and i mean i i see why in america you would want them to bring that money back to america but if you're the company you're like I'm going to keep the money where I'm spending it. And yeah, yeah. You know, I, even, even as the tax rates lower, what's the impetus to bring it back other than, you know, yeah. favorable exchange? I, I, I mean, I mean, I think, I think there's only two things. One being this continual, like annoyingly un, unjudgy tone on it. And then two, bringing judginess is like, it's sort of like, I don't know, you know, uh, 10% of zero is zero. But 10% of $200 billion is a lot of money, <laughs> right? So it's like, whatever, you might as well get that cash, right? Now, of course, yeah. given the overall like xenophobia of, of uh, half of our fellow citizens, citizens, it's logical that you would be like, why is my money abroad? Bring that back home because fuck the rest of the world. So it's sort of like a logical consequence that if there's that amount of money abroad, you like want to have policies that like bring it back, back, uh, back to the U.S. So like it all yeah, kind of fits the money. Yeah. It all kind of fits in the like money. the 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 addled psychology and like logic world of 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 uh of that folk those folks over there. And then and then and then speaking of like xenophobia, the other thing is like uh like you know, why don't we make iPhones in America? So I guess there's some some amount of um protectionist uh manufacturing that that you could see that there would be incentives uh which is a fancy word for punishment put in place to to get tech hardware companies to try to move stuff uh, domestically, which, you know, I have no idea about the tariffs back and forth and all this trade stuff. But as far as I can tell, like it all, like I've listened to the podcasts about all the, uh, you know, the circuit of all the supply chain over in like, you know, Mm -hmm. China and stuff. So like, yeah, yeah. yeah, Like uh, that sounds fucking crazy, but what do I know? (laughs) Uh, And, and, And even if they bring those, those, you know those uh, manufacturing operations back. It's not going to be for a lot of people. I mean, yeah, Apple, yeah, yeah. you know, Apple moved all their um, their their Power Mac uh, design and and manufacturing to Austin, and they only hired like a couple hundred people. Yeah, no, and, and you, right? you you can read similar stories of like you know uh, obscure rural well. Obscure, as in not gigantic cities. Rural cities will like uh, land a data center deal and give sweet tax breaks, and it's like this huge data center. And they're like, yeah, and they hired like twenty people. Congratulations, right? Right? Like, yeah, like you don't actually need that much. So it's not that that problem doesn't need to be solved. Like it's just like uh, the way, like the thing about the tech industry, and for better or worse, maybe it cancels out. Is like a lot of what our job is is eliminating jobs. 
<laughs> right? Like, uh, well, uh, not, yeah. not all it, of it, but we, we automate, we try to automate drudgery, right? And I, so, so that, that becomes I mean, an I, issue. I, you know, we're working at an automation company. I actually, we have this conversation and, and I tell people it's not about eliminating jobs. It's about moving people into more Exactly. And this this is this is where I'll, I, I, we'll call it we'll call it the uh, the Kinesis application of Jevons paradox, right? I mean, I remember it was Luke who was always saying this is like, you know, so you automate out the server jobs. It's not like there aren't going to be more computers, right? Like, if you automate out all this drudgery work, there's plenty of extra work to do that that you can add in, which. Who's going to take care of the robot overlords? That's right, and and, and I, I think I think definitely like like looking, uh, like when I go visit like pivotal customers and prospects, like they to some extent they salivate over being able to fire people, but more of what they salivate over is like not sucking at software, <laughs> right? Like yeah. they're like there is so much software we would like to make, but it takes us three months just to decommission a server. So like mm-hmm. we got to like clear out that bottleneck and then we can actually do good work. So then the then the fourth thing just to round it out from from my thing is like apparently uh uh the dude doesn't like Apple and Amazon and uh it sounds like he would be happy just to like fuck with them, right? Like I, and and it makes sense with Amazon cuz uh our 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 buddy up there owns the Washington Post uh and you know and 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 it's sort of like it's it's uh it's it's just like sort of a straight up analysis of like that looks funny so we should punish those people <laughs> and, and and try it's, yeah. it's kind of like the point you were making is like um should uh and this is what gets so confusing is like a lot of this rhetoric also comes from the the far and by rhetoric I don't mean to dismiss it but this thinking comes from the far left as well which is sort of like why do they have all the money <laughs> mm-hmm. right like like yeah. is it actually a good idea that like uh like is this all like it's i like getting these like five boxes a day from amazon but is that healthy for everyone so i don't know i, I mean it it, se- it seems like there's some sort of like structural things that that could happen and then there's also like like uh you know you got to figure out what's happening with like uh deregulation versus like uh faa grants and all this kind of stuff but like that area is just like the 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 dude's so inconsistent and like uh, schizophrenic and like the way he talks about stuff that who knows you just gotta you gotta yeah. wait to see uh, you know and, and and the sad thing is for the next four years we're gonna be calling him the dude yeah <laughs> <laughs> that dude who said mm-hmm. this I mean so so there's so much stuff that you know it's some of it's protectionist some of it is progressive even occasionally um, he pivots on what he uh, says and does. Um, I don't know. I mean, and, uh, you know, and that's just, that's just if you're only talking business. And then if you're talking about all the like social stuff, it's like, it's crazy. And, and even already, you know, Mitch McConnell and, and Paul Ryan have said nice things, but even McConnell's like, yeah, we'll see what we feel like doing over at Congress. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, I had two other thoughts just before we wrap up, Kote, on just like the tech side of the election, not so much the future, but yeah. Things that just emerged out of this for one reason or another. Like one, I mean, I'm amazed at the impact of like security or lack of security of mail and WikiLeaks uh-huh. and and just in general, like how big a public yeah. election uh, that was. So you got to think. I don't know where we'll be in four years, but I doubt anyone in politics um, is looking at email quite the same way, right? Yeah. Whether yeah. how they, um, I think, and everyone that starts a uh, job, uh, you know that joins the administration, right? I mean, I think you probably think twice about what you're putting in email, 
where email is being stored, you know, that whole thing. And then, of course, like just in general, right? I mean, the social media stories that came out of it, I mean, there's been, I guess, a lot of controversy around the, the Facebook news feed and the algorithm that is certainly controlling um, what people th- see, you know, the Twitter, uh, you know, discussions, you know, whether they be healthy or not, and then podcasting, right? I mean, there's, uh, I mean, this is definitely, we'll see if it lasts, but certainly many, uh, many of the podcasts I think we've recommended on here, a lot of political podcasts yeah. have uh, gotten a incru- huge listener, um, a listenership out of it. So it'll be interesting to see if those things grow. And of course, four years in tech is like an eternity. So the next time we mm-hmm. do it, it may be the Snapchat successor is, I don't know, or whatever. Maybe we'll have yeah. a fully encrypted email universe um, because people are so paranoid. But it's, it is interesting to see how those things, all of those things played a really impactful part in this election. And I don't think we really would have predicted that four years ago. Well, and, and, and Trump called for uh, Snowden to be pardoned, so maybe he'll he'll come in and straighten things up for us. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, God. That, that was in Twitter four years ago, so that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. In- encrypting data at rest, probably a good idea. That, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that, that should probably happen. And yeah, no, that, that I mean, there, there, there's, there's, there's three more things before we wrap that I'll try to keep short. Like, one of them is just like... Uh, yeah. Someone needs to write a good book about how to do defensive email, just like defensive driving. Like, I think I got all my, like, I, I had a joke Twitter the other day that I had a, what, I think there were five things I needed. I need a, I had, I needed a, a, a passcode to unlock my 2FA manager. So I had to use my, my passcode manager and put a passcode in for that. So I'm already at three passcodes. And then that was to get a code from the 2FA thing to log into my email account which then also needs a passcode. So I've got five passcodes. And I feel like, like, is that enough jackets to wear or am I still going to get cold, <laughs> right? Like, and, and so it's kind of like, like one, uh, that's uh, how come not everyone uses these passcodes? And, and, then, and then like two, like, would it just be better if all my shit was encrypted, but then I couldn't search it? Like someone's got to sort that shit out. Like it should be, uh, who knows, who knows? Or, or to the point that I think, uh, Matt was making like you should probably not write anything you want to be published in email. You might want to look into that. Like that's that's uh that anyways. So so then the other thing is uh you know the other thing I haven't figured out uh as as you can imagine uh both both Matt Ray and I probably care about this is I I haven't figured out how this affects like the uh, the IPO and funding market, which probably no one fucking knows at this point. But like that would be interesting to look at, and then. Uh, hey. Probably less China. Yeah, yeah. That's like there's an analysis from four five one that like uh, and and I didn't realize this, but China's actually done a lot of acquisitions recently uh, in the tech world. So that that probably ain't gonna pan out for for much longer. If uh, in, unless you know unless something, who knows? But there is. I mean, if you if you want to read some more stuff, I forget what the other stuff I was gonna mention. But um, Ovum, which uh, is a little analyst shop in the UK, I think, and I think I verified this in Incognito. They made free about five different pieces that they wrote this week. Uh, going over the effects of uh, of tech in the world. And there's some other stuff we'll put in the show notes at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 78 um, that, that I think I think are pretty good roundups of guesses of, of what policy and implied effects would be. So uh, we'll, we'll have to return back to that. In four years, uh, it'll all be unikernels, right? We'll be talking about unikernels, and we'll be like, so Matt Ray, with this <laughs> new vendor, if I have a PHP application... Walk me through that a fifth time. 
And then Brandon will say, <laughs> Brandon will say, now, how are they going to make money off of that? And then, and then everyone will be comforted. <laughs> It'll be great. So, so uh, uh, why, why, don't we, why don't we wrap up with, with our recommendations? What, do you want to start, Brandon? Yeah, I think uh, this is a week everyone should get in touch with their feelings a little bit more. And to do so, there was uh, the Startup Podcast is back from Giblet Media. So they've been doing uh, their latest season. And uh, the start of season four focuses in just on their company. So it's kind of some episodes that are very similar to the first season. So, But I was just going to recommend one episode. It's titled Shadow Qualities, and it's uh, season four, episode three. And uh, you don't really have to listen to all the other episodes if you're not interested. And, and uh, the kind of the premise is this Alex Bloomberg is our hero. He has uh, you know, left public radio and he is out trying to start a media empire. And he ends up talking to what they call like a, I don't know, like a startup coach. But it really becomes like a therapist. And they end up taping this uh, episode about building culture and uh, what it means to build culture and how it does it. And uh, the uh, coach, the executive coach guy that takes him through, asks him some pretty uh, emotional questions about like, and it's kind of your unconscious, right? Is if you don't understand or at least become aware of some of the things in your unconscious, it can have an unintended consequences mm-hmm. on your company. And I will say it's pretty intense, and it's so it's it's like listening, or what I imagine it would be like listening and on someone's own personal therapy session and if you're interested in like what it may be like to run a company and sort of the emotional roller coaster and brink that uh it takes you to uh i will definitely listen to this and like i said you'll probably feel a little uncomfortable but it's very compelling audio so enjoy it well to do one of my patented uh sneaking in a recommendation on someone else's this is maybe sound like a weird uh recommendation but if you have a chance to go to therapy you should do that it's it's uh it's thoroughly enjoyable like to have have someone like go into your head head and try to explain to you what's going on like you got to calibrate and find the right person who's not just like uh who knows how to engage with whatever you want but it's like fun it's kind of like recording a podcast except people forgot to pit, hit record it's uh it's it's good to go sort your shit out uh so you should you should look into that most healthcare plans will cover it you usually get five visits for free and then you get like a 15 or 20 dollar copay if you're uh, if you're living on the want to succeed from the countryside of the divide yeah How about, but soon we'll get rid of healthcare oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. That, that'll <laughs> oh. be that'll be that'll be that'll be fun so so Sorry, what uh, what soon. no that's that's fine it's no problem i think this is this is our opportunity to make this is my therapy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We we ha- we're going to have an infinite opportunity to uh, affect change by being sarcastic, which uh, <sighs> that that either causes that's change good or, for everyone. or you yeah. just, you just draw up a hot bathtub and slit your wrists afterwards. But it you know whatever whichever mm. path you want to go is fine. I prefer the uh, keeping my wrists intact path. But what's your recommendation for this week, Matt Ray? Uh, well, um, you know, I, living abroad and uh, having to move money from. One tax uh, authority to another. Um, you know, I, I don't have the, the billions that Apple has, but I do have to send money from uh, the U.S. to Australia. Uh, and so I, I would recommend TransferWise. Um, they were actually on, uh, I think they were on the A16Z podcast a while back, and that's where I learned about them. Um, and what they are is a, a service for transferring, you know, money from one bank account to another and instead of uh 
having the the high transaction fees of banks or you know Western Union or the like, um, they actually they keep a pool of money in each country and maintain balances between them, so they don't actually send money across. They just whoa, yeah. Um, money is software, means, Matt Ray. Money is software. Yes. Yeah, I think they're former PayPal. Uh, folks who started it and yeah. uh i've been using it for you know f- four four months now five months now and um it's pretty sharp saves a lot of money they send me alerts anytime the exchange rates are high uh you know so i, I and it always beats credit card rates and um you know bank rates their their transfer rates are always much better than everybody else so transfer wise well, that's interesting. So I, 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 have, I have two recommendations, not counting the one I slipped in with Brandon. And then I still want to recommend the pastrami burger at Three Greens Market. <laughs> it's, it's a good burger. I don't make burger recommendations. I've explained all of this. It's a burger you should eat. Uh, my next recommendation, like, you know, uh, if, if, if you're feeling depressed, there's this old song from a Houston band of all places from, I think, 68 called Tighten Up. You should go listen to that. It's fun. I think this guy, Archie Bell, like, went off to serve in Vietnam, and I forget if he died or not, but he never launched his career. But, like, it's a good song. Uh, if you like that, uh, she give me Kachi song and all that kind of, like, post-Jack Black doo-wop shit that they do, the kids do nowadays. Like, it's, you'll, you'll like this. I like all that stuff. You'll like this song a lot, and it'll make you a little happy. The other thing, this is, this is a recommendation slash request. So I have 24 more hours before I have to make my uh, first half of 2017 benefits elections. I have done some thorough analysis and consulted with our friend Chip Holden through Twitter and also my financial advisor. And it looks like for my family, uh, it's not perfect, but, but risk managed to like a 85 to 90% success rate because you can trust these kind of things. I'm pretty sure an HSA is the right choice for my family versus a PPO, which is, which is a dramatic reversal from the way we thought about things. But I ran all mm. the numbers and I did the math and all sorts of stuff. Yep. And like I said, I've had it verified by like uh, four and a half different parties, including like, God bless the HR people. But it's sort of like, it seems like, Policy-wise, they can't actually tell you anything, which is right. fine. That's fine. Uh, but, <laughs> but like, I have a spreadsheet I would be happy to share with people, and I've run these numbers, but I'm pretty sure. And, and the way it all works is basically with a PPO, you pay $3,600 a year in premiums, right? And with an HSA, after a matching or the free contribution you get into your HSA account, and when you account for the bonus you get because of pre-tax money you contribute to an HSA, your premium a year is essentially $300. So basically, you're looking at like $3,300 to play around with, and that pretty much blows out any case where a PPO makes economic sense. Now, like I said... I, this sounds all too good to be true, but I've run it by many people who should know, and they all say it's good. Now, I, I am not giving advice, but it's that time okay. of year again. You should look at HSAs. They might make my, sense. My, my advice, if you do an HSA, invest in a fax machine and a scanner because you're going to be fighting over every single receipt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, really? That, that, wow, that, I have not had – I was just going to go the other way. I was going to say I'm a huge fan. I've been on an HSA with a, a family, and uh, we've I've had great success. And we've actually paid for everything. Uh, I just used a credit card. I don't think I've been asked for any any real receipts. So well, if, uh, if, if, I'm a huge I, fan if you don't, as well. If you don't mind divulging, what, what, each, which, what company do each of you operate under? Because maybe that's the well, – <laughs> um, Right now I'm on a screen. 
okay. private healthcare, so it doesn't matter. But, but what um, was it with the? But package? it does. They 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 make me submit receipts, even if it's like a charge at the emergency room. Like, what else am I going to be buying at the emergency? Yeah, room? yeah. So, so um, the, the the one we'll see how it goes. This is with Blue Cross of Blue Shield of Texas, of course. Uh, I mean, I think we'll sign up for yeah. it. And we'll see what happens. But yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm using Aetna. That makes you feel any better, Aetna. Okay. Here in Austin, Texas. So I like it, man. But uh, I've had, yeah, I've been really. I will also say it makes you definitely makes you uh, a better health consumer. I'm yeah. definitely a lot better than I was when um, I was on other plans. So. Yeah, but it's just you know the the thing that's exciting about it. Again, if you're in the the side of the divide, is like you you open up another pre tax vehicle for for saving money which which the uh, the financial advisors they love that shit they just like cream their pants <laughs> over it but like it, it look like if you have the upfront cash to fund all of this stuff and you're willing to take on a small amount of risk and the risk is only like at most like a couple thousand dollars that you would be out if you chose wrong a year once you reach the max payout so like long term it's kind of like an extended warranty my policy is never buy an extended warranty because over the course of 30 years i will win right i may lose one year right but if i yeah. never buy an extended warranty i always win right and i so, think you i think you hit on it perfectly cote i think if you're lucky enough and i think it sounds like we all are to uh, be able to really fund those uh, at a high rate and you do it for a few years you're going to have a very high likelihood yeah, because because of the, got ahead. Yeah. yeah because the thing is like it costs more to have a ppo you they just like slowly drain your blood every month on it right like so anyways <laughs> it's uh it's the slow and you got to have a gallon of blood next to you and then you can avoid getting at death by a thousand <laughs> exactly times. well said it's like, great it's like the dude said yeah it's like the dude said smart people don't pay taxes yeah yeah that's right <laughs> oh, yeah god yeah as yeah well as always this has been software defined talk now i would like to emphasize you should go to software defined talk.com because we hosted at fireside it's like phenomenal it's awesome just go there and scroll through the different header images that we have you can leave comments it's just great it's good stuff so you can go to see the full show notes and i put i put a lot of stuff about uh tech trump stuff or whatever uh so there's fun links there uh you go to software defined talk.com slash 78 you can see it you can you can leave comments it would be great you know what would be nice? You should leave us a review in iTunes, the U.S., Canada, France, whatever. And as always, I still would like to know what the fuck is going on in that section of Costco with the paper supplies and the hardware. Like, what do I get over there? I like I have plenty of pins. I don't need to get pins. I don't need I don't need printer paper. I got I bought a ladder there once. But like, what am I supposed to do with that part of Costco? What do I buy? Like, I'm not going to go buy like my faucet there. Right, like, like, so what? What do I do with that section of Costco or some other section? Whatever you may recommend, that would be nice. And as always, it's good if you uh, if you tell us that you listen to the show. It makes us happy. Recommend it to friends, and uh, you know that's about all that I got. We'll we'll uh, next week we'll we'll uh, we'll put this Archie Bell and the Drells on repeat, and uh, hopefully uh, not end up in a bathtub. See everyone next time. <laughs>
Oh yeah. Turn up on that bass now. Turn it up. <laughs> yeah. Now let that guitar fall in. Oh yeah. Turn up on the organ now.